1: It's the Clash
4: of the Titles Terrifying Halloween Countdown Special! Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to to see which one does it better on this week's Halloween Countdown Special in the Red Corner. It's time to rewrite the rules of the slasher movie and also say them out loud numerous times on screen. First up this week, we're talking about a film that single-handedly reinvigorated the world of horror and spawned a franchise which is still going today... Do you like scary movies? Let's hope so, because from 1996, it's time to scream!
1: Hello? Hello? Who is this? If you tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. (laughs) I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies?
2: Uh-huh.
1: You never told me your name.
2: Why do you want to know
5: my
1: name? I want to know who I'm looking at.
4: While in the blue corner, if you go down to the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. What kind of beasties will you encounter? Oh, the choices. With its smorgasbord of creatures, next level self-awareness and crazy mythology, if there's one thing you take from this movie, it's that you don't ever want to meet a merman. From 2011, it's The Cabin in the Woods.
1: Everybody ready? A
5: show
4: on the road doesn't even show up on the GPS. It's unworthy of global positioning. That's the whole point. Get off the grid, right?
1: Hello. I'm thinking this thing doesn't take credit cards.
0: Sign says closed. We're looking for uh, what's it called?
5: Tillerman Road.
0: Not to get you there,
4: getting back. So what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles.
0: Release the Kraken!
4: Hello, Clash If I'm right about this, I could save a man's life. Do you know what that would do for my book sales? I'm Alex Zane.
3: I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome
4: to this week's show, Scream vs Cabin in the Woods, or as I'm calling it, the super smart, scary, self-aware Smackdown. <laughs> Boom. And who better to be joining us for this week's episodes to talk through this pairing than a absolutely brilliant writer whose credits include Doctor Who, Cockneys versus Zombies, and of course a film that I bloody love, The Wonderful Severance. It's Mr James Moran. Hello, James.
2: Hello, how are
4: you? I'm really well. I'm so happy uh, that you're here for us today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you are joining us remotely, so just for our listeners, paint a picture. Where are you right now?
2: I am sitting on a sofa surrounded by... Pretty much nothing but uh, children's toys. Um, I've got a two and a half year old sleeping upstairs, hopefully sleeping, um, having a nap. So the sooner we get through this, um, <laughs> then the, the sooner she doesn't wake up and smear her own faeces all over the walls.
4: That's, uh, that's the most eloquent way I've ever been told to hurry up uh, <laughs> as well. It adds, it adds tension and suspense to proceedings.
2: It's a it's a ticking clock. It's a ticking nappy. <laughs>
4: uh, listen, as I just said, I love Severance. Um, Tim McInerney standing on that landmine, amazing scene. It's a film that quite rightly is recognised as one of the great British horror comedies. How proud of you uh, are you of its legacy?
2: Um, I'm very proud. I'd, it's it's a it's a weird thing that. I spent so long writing it. I spent a, a year writing it and fixing it and trying to figure it out just on my own at home using a, a BBC script template in Word mm-hmm. evenings and weekends while working a full-time day job. And then suddenly it sold and got made and comes out. And now, 14 years later, people are still finding it and finding it on TV and telling me how much they like it. And it's it's so weird that it's, it's still got this life. It's still going. And now it kind of... People are talking about it like it's sort of in the old guard mm. of older movies, and now I'm like, no, I've I've just broken in. I'm I'm the new guy. Surely, <laughs> I'm 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 the new young writer, aren't I? Uh,
4: it, it's such a good film, and it, it does that incredibly difficult thing, uh, which we're, we're going to talk about today of balancing genuine horror with real laughs. Um, so you really are the perfect person to be here because that's that's by no means an easy task, is it?
2: It's not. It's not, and it's it's one of those things that when you're when you're writing it you don't quite know if it's going to work and especially if you're a horror fan Um, I mean, you know, the the best way to write a horror film is to be a horror fan and have that love for the genre. But it's also a double edged sword in that you're sitting there trying to figure out how to make it scary, how to make it funny. And glancing over at your DVD shelves Hmm. where there's a hundred films that do anything you can think of a million times better. (laughs) Even even the dodgy films, they do it better. And you're like, oh, God, I've got somebody about to open a door and there's going to be a jump. Is that going to be scary? Who cares? (laughs) I've seen a million people open a door and it's in a scary no, this, this is this is terrible. Why am I writing this? There's no need for this film to exist.
4: <laughs> uh, inspirational words for anyone working on a script right
2: now. Just don't bother. Everyone else did it better than you.
4: <laughs> uh, now, I do have a question. I don't want you to say which and spoil the surprise, but I'm just interested, without saying, have you got a favourite of these two films walking into our shows today, this week?
2: Oh, good Lord, yes. Okay, okay.
4: All right. Well, we'll find out what that is a little bit later. Uh, so, <laughs> Victoria, these were your choices. Uh, Reminders of the clue that you gave us last week.
3: The clue was: break the scary rules like, learn the scary rules like a pro, like me. Yeah. So you can break them like an artist, yep. like your, me.
4: Learn your bloody clues like Shit, a pro.
3: Don't delete your old notes <laughs> like a pro. Uh, uh, yeah. Chris,
4: you added to that on Twitter.
5: Yes, uh, in the future, I'll be adding to that on Twitter in the past. And uh, the clue is going to be anything you can do, we can do meta.
3: Oh, Oh, I like that.
4: Well done. Well done. Uh, now, as Chris just pointed out, we are recording in advance of this going live, so you haven't actually made your guesses on Twitter yet, but be assured, visit us at ClashPod on Twitter, and whoever has got the right answer, you will be championed. And it's also a lot of fun on there. That is us on Twitter, at ClashPod. Um, All right, then. Uh, who'd like to guide us through the connection section? Victoria?
3: Um, I do have a fact, but I w- just wanted to uh, check with Chris because he knows everything. Were both these films written in a weekend?
5: Uh, I certainly know, as I'm presenting
4: Cabin in the Woods, that was written in three days. Right.
3: Okay, well then. and I over can, to you, Alex. I,
4: I can <laughs> confirm, thank God. <laughs> Didn't realise it was going to start with a quiz. Uh, yeah. Also, Scream was written in three days. Okay. James, as, as our resident screenwriter, is that is that
5: true?
2: <laughs> can that be? Can that be possibly be true? Um, it's possible if you want to write a really terrible first draft mm. the, the, very f- the very first draft I wrote of Severance I wrote in three days oh, It wow. was 66 pages And it was absolute shit
4: <laughs> <laughs> So that's a yes, you can do it
2: <laughs> If we remove quality from
4: the equation It, it can be done uh, Anyone else got any other connections between these movies? Uh, I've only got one connection mm-hmm. This week, um, Heather Anderson You guys know who Heather Anderson is? I'm going to say no, but I feel like I should sing some cover in I gave a
5: clue, actually, on our last episode. Uh, so there's lots of Nightmare on Elm Street jokes and references in Scream. Uh, you know, Wes Craven has that cameo as Fred, the janitor, that's Freddy Krueger. Oh, right,
4: I don't take all my baby <laughs> trivia.
5: <laughs> and there's a, there's a good Nightmare on Elm Street joke in the first scene. Um, Heather Anderson does the special effects on Cabin in the Woods. Um, she's formerly Heather Langenkamp. She's Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street, does the special effects on Cabin in the Woods.
4: Okay. Yeah. It's tenuous. Yeah, I was going to say, she's not really linked to Scream per se. Nightmare on Elm Street jokes. Yeah, all right. It's fine. It's done. All right, it's It's done. It's out there. It's in the ether now. It's up to people to decide. James, have you got any connections you'd like to add to the pot?
2: Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, the, the way they both sort of explain the rules of horror, sort of showing you how the rules work and then subvert that... And 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 break those rules, but also the main way after after each film came out, everyone oh well you can't you can't do the old fashioned horror anymore now that that's it there's no more no more lazy horror movies that shit is over and then six months later it was sort of back to normal <laughs>
4: uh, yeah I'm just I'm going to echo uh, James's sentiment that's the only connection I've really got this week which is uh, quite simply you and your bloody rules so that's mine um, <laughs> right. We do it chronologically, as always. Uh, So, uh, Chris, you're taking us on a tour of Cabin in the Woods on Thursday, which means today we're heading to Woodsboro with me, and I can promise you one thing. It's going to be a scream. Good. Uh, I'm glad I did that. Uh, Also, if you haven't seen this movie, there are spoilers ahoy. Ahoy. Let me take you.
3: Sorry, how many years old is it? <laughs> I don't think you have to. I know,
4: but then I put one in the synopsis and I feel that it's one of those movies, as we'll get into, that if, you ha- if, I, if I say my spoiler, it changes watching this movie because this is only the second time I've watched Scream and it was a very different experience okay. knowing the whodunit. Okay. So... Sorry. Anyway, I'm I'm probably being overprotective of our Clash podders. I'm sure everyone's seen this, but there you go. I I felt I was being responsible for once. Here is a synopsis of Scream. The movie starts and we spend 11 minutes of sheer terror in the company of the biggest star of the film, Drew Barrymore, who is then promptly murdered. And how? This lets us know that this is a movie that won't be playing by the rules, despite repeatedly discussing said rules. A killer is on the loose in the town of Woodsboro, targeting 17-year-old Sidney Prescott, whose mum was murdered a year earlier. There's seemingly nowhere she's safe. Her own home, the bathrooms of the school, the massive isolated farmhouse at night surrounded by woods. But who is this ghost face? Could it be the sexy boyfriend, his manic-mouthed mate, the geeky video store clerk, the innocent deputy, the cynical reporter? It's the sexy boyfriend and his mate, the end. <laughs> For your consideration, ladies and gentlemen,
0: scream. So- Is playing a deadly game.
1: It all began with a scream over 911.
0: Someone who's seen one too many scary movies now he's taken his love of fear hello hello sydney one step too far do you like scary movies
1: what's the point they're all the same some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act She's always
0: running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door it's insulting there are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie number one you can never have sex Sure, it was
4: me. Never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't
0: be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back! You ah! don't make the rules. The police are always on track. If
4: they watch Palm Night, they save time.
0: He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Ah! Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Everybody,
4: let's back! are you? Scream! So, first memories of watching this movie, our histories with this movie. Uh, let me start with you, James. When did you first scream, and what you uh, scream? See, scream, and potentially scream, and what are your memories of that?
2: I saw it uh, opening weekend at the the Vue Leicester Square, or it, which it may have been called the Warner Village oh, Leicester yeah. Square, or whatever it was called that week. It's it's been about five different cinemas, and I'd I'd heard it was sort of a a, a meta horror and kind of broke the rules and, and all that kind of thing, and nothing quite prepared me for for it. There were no. This was nineteen ninety six. There was there was very very little internet access. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know any spoilers. I'd, I hadn't read anything about it. I hadn't had the whole plot ruined for me by eighty-seven different uh, clips. <laughs> um, you know, the, 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 there was no Twitter, Twitter to ruin it. So I had no idea what to expect. Um, I, didn't even rea- I didn't even realize True Barrymore was in it.
1: Even, so even though I was I'm...
2: quite surprised, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd seen a trailer, but there was there was to see a trailer in those days. You had to go to the cinema yeah, and yeah. catch the trailer. Of course, you yeah. couldn't just. You couldn't just like go on the internet and, and check it out on YouTube. Do
4: you watch trailers um, now, out of interest? Because we have this discussion every week. Chris uh, stays completely away from trailers before he goes to see a movie. I'm a, a trailer addict. Vicky loves them as well. Do you now that you have access? Do you watch a trailer before the movie?
2: I I do. I I, I wish I couldn't. I wish I could avoid it because there's there's nothing like you know when I when I was at school and I was I went to a boarding school. We we used to have. Um, two videos on a Saturday night and the, the six years would go and get them. You wouldn't know what they were called until the opening credits started. You wouldn't know what the title was. You wouldn't even know the genre. So you had no idea what you were watching. Oh, that and sounds like my we'll dream. We'll never have... Oh, it's amazing. And you'll never have that again. And, well, the boarding school wasn't quite... You know, everything else was terrible. <laughs> hey, no, come uh, on.
3: There's so much learning to be done in boarding school.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I I went in as as clean and fresh as it is probably possible to go in. Didn't know Drew Barrymore was in it and then I was very pleased when she turned up and then I was really shocked that she died. Um I I rewatched it before before this um and I I've, I've seen I must have seen the film about 20 times. Every time I'll pop a, little, pop a little tear when he starts being mean to Drew Barrymore. Yeah. I, ca- I can't bear Drew Barrymore crying. It really upsets
4: me. <laughs> Do you know, apparently Wes Craven managed to make her cry repeatedly because she's a huge animal lover. And on set, he used to retell stories of massive amounts of animal cruelty to bring out that performance. It,
5: but that's better than the Tony Scott, Patricia
4: Arquette story we told a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah There's, well no, ev- there's no evidence of him slapping around the face to get her in the mood. Exactly. Yeah, The persuader. Uh, Chris, t- <laughs> tell me. Uh, that's, what he, that's what he called his punch. Are you fucking yeah, kidding me? I don't, you miss this, yeah. This is what happens when you take a week off. You miss the episode where Tony Scott uh, slapped Patricia Arquette around the face. We can't call it a punch. That's a wow. very different... I think it was an open-handed slap.
3: Oh, which, fine. Is fine. which is fine. Well, she deserved that. So, <laughs> sorry, did he call his hand the persuader or I, the manoeuvre?
5: I, I think she said to him, bring on the persuader when she needed to get in the mood. So it's fine. She <laughs> named it, Vicky. She <laughs> named
4: it. She called the Anyway, we've done this. Yeah. We've done away with it. Okay, uh, uh,
5: Chris? Not a lot. This falls in that period. This came out in May 97 in the UK. And those three years, 96 to 99, I was at uni. I wasn't going to the cinema all that much. I was playing sport or in the pub and this was a video, multiple video watches in that period with mates late at night. And yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it, but um, I haven't got, an anecdote,
4: sadly. Okay. it's well, unusual for this section. It
5: mm. yeah, normally... kind of
3: falls down without it. Yeah, you, you normally
4: <laughs> make one up because now we're going to turn to Vicky who hates this section. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: I watched this when I was at university, but I didn't see it until then. So I probably saw it in about year like 99, 2000. And then w- in my house share, we watched this film probably once a week for about a year because <laughs> uh, we thought it was fucking hilarious. And the it, everything was a surprise. And because of the weed, lots of things are still a surprise.
4: I was going to say, surely on time number 15, you're like, I think I know who the killer is,
3: guys. (laughs) Still shocked. Still shocked.
4: Uh, So I saw it, I think, well, I saw it when I was 17 years old. Uh, So I was roughly the same age as uh, the cast are playing in the movie. So it kind of felt very relevant to that. And I remember two distinct things about watching this movie. Uh, One is very much like James. Uh, I just remember that first opening, 13 minutes, to be. Truly some of the most horrifying cinema I'd ever seen. And Drew Barrymore's death haunted me afterwards. But the other thing I remember is just how cool this movie was. I know that's a weird word to use, but it's just a cool movie. Like the marketing was cool. The cast were cool. The fact that they're playing Republic of Drop Dead Gorgeous at the house party... It was 97. That was pretty cool in, in, in my head. So I, I, was, I was just sort of blown away. The, the fact that, to me, horror movies weren't cool movies. And this was a horror movie that was simultaneously cool. Did you think you were Skeet Ulrich at the time? I'm imagining <laughs> you having the long hair and. Uh, no, I do, who, I, I'll tell you which character I identified with most. And it's not who I thought, because I thought it would be Jamie Kennedy, like mm. the movie geek. But it's actually Matthew Lillard, who I, I'm going to be oh, saying stop.
3: this. stop. I'm so surprised. Yeah, uh, Carry on. I had
4: a massive love affair with Matthew <laughs> Lillard in, in, throughout the 90s. I, he, I was like literally the, uh, the biggest fan of Matthew Lillard. And I think he's great in this. Favourite characters? Anyone you identified with, James? Was there someone who you were like, that's me?
2: um yes sadly predictably i was i was the movie nerd character (laughs) um but i I was watching it and going well i'm not that annoying (laughs) but you know but sadly that was that was not
5: yeah i think i was him desperately trying not to give deliver those speeches to my mates at uni because i wanted them to stay my mates
3: (laughs)
4: Don't say it again, Chris. They'll hate you, just like home. I mean, with your blonde hair, Victoria, I mean, you'd naturally be Drew Barrymore, if only through appearance, but Uh,
3: Drew Barrymore
4: Barrymore really cares about animals, so you can't be...
3: So that's true on that point. Also, I'm Gail Weathers because I am ambition, pure ambition. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just a show of ambition. Her highlights and her lip shimmer... 100%. (laughs) 100%. <laughs> oh. uh,
4: right, let's talk a, a little bit about the backstory to how Scream came to be. Uh, we kind of touched on this already. Uh, Kevin Williamson is the writer, a movie fan, horror lover. It was his breakout script. Uh, he'd go on to have a lot of success. He created Dawson's Creek, uh, in which the character of Dawson is actually based on him. More recently, The Vampire Diaries, a hugely successful TV series. He created that. I haven't seen it, but I know people who have. Uh, but in 1994, he was a struggling actor and aspiring screenwriter who saw a documentary on the real-life serial killer known as the Gainesville Ripper who murdered five students in Florida in 1990 and he was watching this documentary and it was the part of the story about this guy breaking into the homes to commit these murders that made him really nervous. He said, I was scared out of my mind during the commercial break of the documentary. I heard a noise and I had to go to search the house. I went into the living room and a window was open. I'd been in this house two days. I'd never noticed the window open. I got really scared. So I went to the kitchen and I got a butcher's knife and got on my phone. He then called a friend who proceeded to tease him about classic slasher movies down the phone, saying he shouldn't venture outside, and this was the genesis for Scream. He went to bed thinking about this idea. It was called Scary Movie at the time, and the following day he wrote an 18-page treatment for the film Scary Movie. So he put it to one side uh, and thought, I'll work on that later. Uh, And then one of the great motivational factors uh, for a writer uh, stepped in and he ran out of money. And so he decided to actually work on this script because he thought it would be a fast sell. And like we talked about, he wrote it in three days. Um, uh, Again, it was probably a first draft. uh, But it eventually went on to become a bidding war uh, between Oliver Stone and uh, the Weinsteins at Dimension. And he decided to go with the Weinsteins because he thought they'd make the movie immediately without censoring the violence. Uh, He also chose them because they paid him $400,000 and a contract for two sequels, which uh, sounds lovely. Sounds bloody lovely. Because he did also uh, send off five-page outlines for Scream or Scary Movies. It was called Two and Three at that time. So Bob Weinstein goes, I want Wes Craven. Wes Craven wasn't interested because he'd just come off the back of two horror bombs in New Nightmare and Vampire on Brooklyn. Do we have any fans of either of those films in the room? Or in, in yes. indeed remotely, James?
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. New Nightmare
4: is great. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, I remember watching New Nightmare and going, this is very clever, but I never found it scary enough. That was my memory of New Nightmare.
2: Vampire and I think it was demons. it was slightly ahead of its time. I think people weren't quite ready for it. Mm.
5: And I think if you watch it now, it feels like a dry run for screen yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does.
4: Um, so where's Craven eventually, uh, two things happened. Uh, first of all, he reread the script numerous times and actually went, there's actually a bloody good film here. Uh, I think I might, might want to do it." And simultaneously, Drew Barrymore had got hold of the script and went, "I want to be Sydney in this. I want to be Sydney Prescott. I'll take that role." And so Craven sort of went, "Wow." This could actually be a very different kind of horror movie to what we've had recently if a star like Drew Barrymore is going to be involved. So he called up Bob Weinstein and went, yes, can I actually uh, do this? Um, bit about the casting then. Drew Barrymore, uh, she was meant to play Sydney. Uh, and there's a bit of a dispute here. I don't know whether anyone knows the real story. Some people say scheduling uh, made her drop out of the lead role and play the role of Casey at the start. And some people say that she just sort of went, actually, I'd just rather play Casey. Does anyone have a definitive answer on that? No. No? no? All right, good. Well, then she decided actively to drop out and play Casey. <laughs> uh, but her presence in the movie got loads of other actors um, of note to be interested in being this movie because uh, I think it's safe to say this is, a, this, for the time, this is. And I don't know what you guys think. This is a this is a horror movie and a slasher movie that had a better cast than normal. Would that be fair?
2: Yeah, horror horror's always been it's always been a bit of a bit of a gulag uh for this kind of thing. It's always been sort of not not disrespected, but yeah, no, yeah, disrespected. There's there's always been a lot of snobbery and people perceive it as as stupid and and schlocky and an actor's I think also at the time perceived it as being that's the death of your career. If you end up in horror movies, then your career is clearly over. Um, And then something like this comes along, which is really, really great. And then suddenly the perception changes and nothing has really changed in the genre. But there's just but one one film can just do that. And you get a few a few name actors and then suddenly it's respectable again because, you know, and it all comes down to money because it made a massive (laughs) amount of money.
5: I, I also think it, this, was, this sort of precipitated the shift from uh, horror films casting movie actors to TV actors uh, that teenagers liked. So your lead was in Party of Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friends mm. was the biggest show on the planet for teenagers. You cast Courtney Cox. Henry Winkler's a TV star. It was, they, they were mining TV and then all the pretenders to this film's crown that came after went after TV actors. Mm. So I think it, it sort of shifted where you looked for your cast as well.
4: I guess in terms of like the job of a writer, though, this is this is a genre where it is possibly more important than any other genre, because it is the script that is going to get people who wouldn't normally be in a horror movie. It's the script that Kevin Williamson wrote that people read and went, bloody hell, this is a different take on horror. This
2: is something new. And so that's the way you're attracting the cast yeah i mean and you you say and you say it's written in 3 days he's clearly had been writing that in his head mm. for years mm. he's been he's been working stuff out in his head it's been letting it percolate so maybe by the time he sat down to write it he'd written multiple drafts in it without even realizing written multiple drafts in his head so then those 3 days it all just came pouring out mm. as like a 10th draft or something yeah and and i i can see that coming out in 3 days because he he he's had that time to think about it and obsess about it, and he'd been living living that life he'd been obsessed with horror movies since he was a kid, and I think you have to you have to live in that world and and love the genre to to be able to do that
4: it's like yeah, it's like you said at the start it's a, you know to, to to write a good horror, you have to understand horror because the you know yeah. because of the cliches as much as the, the the tropes as it were um we got some new faces in here, I don't know whether I've mentioned him yet, but Matthew lillard. Is uh, in this bloody movie. Love Matthew Lillard. Uh, Ski Ulrich, uh, new face, was hired uh, among other things because he resembled uh, a young Johnny Depp in a Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Nev Campbell, Chris mentioned her. She decides to uh, after the craft. She wasn't sure about doing another horror, but then she liked the character so much again because of the script. She decides to step into Drew Barrymore's shows uh, shoes as Sydney. Uh, uh, Drew Barrymore takes Casey. Uh, Wes Craven's like, this is cool. This is like Psycho. You're Janet Lee in Psycho. You're going to drop out of the film after 13 minutes. We'll get on to talking about that when we get to that scene. But that was a a, a huge moment, which I think we all remember. Uh, and then um, at the 11th hour... Uh, the Weinsteins and Dimension Films decide to change the name from Scary Movie to Scream, uh, which uh, initially upset Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven, although in hindsight, uh, they thought it was a good decision. Uh, and I imagine that hindsight being a whopping $173 million at the box office <laughs> on a $13 million budget. Um, you can't understate the importance of what this film did for horror, uh, can you, James? Because if we look at sort of the, the horrors, I, I just had, I had a look at the horrors that came out in 1995 uh, uh, and where we were with horror on the big screen. Uh, these are just a, a handful. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, Candyman 2, Farewell to the Flesh, the sixth Halloween sequel, The Curse of Michael Myers, John Carpenter's Village of the Damned, West Craven's own Zone, Vampire in Brooklyn. Uh, these films were either rubbish or failed <laughs> to find an audience
5: a lot of sequels as well. Mm.
2: But you also you have to understand as horror fans we we were we were still quite happy. We we just have we just we watch anything. We'll, <laughs> we'll just keep watching in the hope that we'll find that one sort of diamond in the rough. So we we were, we were okay. We we'd have carried on watching it forever. But it did revitalize the genre and make it more viable, more profitable and it it gave us more chance of having good things made mm. anytime anything like this is successful then there's more chance that something else will come along and be successful and be good. And, and it's and I think it's 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 coming at it from the right from the right angle as well which is it's not that not that you think you're better than the genre it's that you think right I I know the genre inside out. Mm-hmm. If I if I have this scene in it the entire audience is going to know that's coming. So how do I invert that and surprise the audience and scare them? So it's not saying that the the cliches and tropes are bad. It's just okay. We've we've seen that a million times. Let's let's invert it and make make the characters and the villain and the plot smarter than that.
4: And what do you all make of uh, the period after screams uh, released, which uh, became as uh, the the post the post scream era of horror on the, the big screen? I'm going to start by saying personally. I loved it. I I know a lot of these movies were dross, but uh, some of them were still sort of incredibly enjoyable dross. I mean, you've got, like, Kevin Williamson's own script. I know what he did last summer uh, in the aftermath of Scream, Urban Legend, Cherry Falls, Dead Man's Curve, uh, with a guy called Matthew Lillard, uh, The Faculty, which all came uh, off the back of Scream's success. For me, this was a really exciting period. Uh, What did you guys think, James?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously there were there are a few clunkers in there but even those clunkers they they had some money spent on them and they had a great cast so there was still plenty to enjoy um, i think without without scream you don't have a lot of the you know you you certainly wouldn't have things like hereditary you certainly wouldn't have um, well you wouldn't have had a fifth scream movie being made right now yeah. i th- i think we would we would still be in the doldrums of just churning out cheap schlock and and churning out sequels although having said that it also made it possible for more sequels to happen you know there's there's there was a new halloween film uh, last year or the year before and there's another one coming out next year um but you know but it, it just i think it just it puts more of a spotlight on those films now and they they have to make them they have to make them good they can't just churn them out and knock them out quick they have to they have to spend the time on the script they have to get a good cast so i think I credit scream with every single good horror movie ever since frankly.
4: It's uh, it's, it's it's interesting you mentioned uh, the the recent Halloween uh movie there because that, that so many uh, attributes that scream has uh, are in that film. It's got that self-awareness. It's got the journalists making the story of Michael Myers. It's it, it knows about the legend of Michael Myers. So it it owes a debt to scream, I agree completely. Um and I also think
5: that, you know, um These kind of films go in, horror goes in cycles. And so this cycle didn't last forever. Yes, there were good um, copies of it. Yes, there were bad ones. But we were really soon into J-horror, changing horror. Mm. We were into the the sort of torture porn era, as it's called, Mm. um, where there were good films and bad films. So, you know, it's all part of the fun of loving the horror genre and these different cycles that come along every two or three years. You're a fan of that. I, I prefer
4: Gorno to torture porn. Of the, of the two terms, I quite like Gorno.
5: I don't like the phrase torture porn. No, it's just what it, it, it became a catch-all. But I yeah. think Hostel and, and Saw are much better films than
4: torture porn gives them credit for. Yeah, or Gorno, again. I'm really pushing for Gorno on this episode. Okay, uh, okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into going through. Scream, back in a second.
1: Ready to pop the question?
0: And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at com slash ACAST.
1: Join me, Melissa Reddy, and listen to my brand new podcast, Between the Lines. I'll be speaking to the biggest names in football about the captivating, behind-the-scenes stories fans want to hear. From major talking points to untold anecdotes, you'll hear from some of football's leading stars as well as those working in the shadows. In our first episode, I spoke to former Spurs manager Maurizio Pochettino about that Amazon documentary.
0: We feel responsible
4: because it was uh, very difficult to say yes, to open the door to Amazon.
3: Only we watched with Jesus the 25-minute first because it was until we uh, left the club.
1: And on our latest episode, I investigate how prevalent and damaging social media abuse is in football. And I was like taking all this negativity onto myself and I did, I kind of lost myself and my personality because I knew everything that was going on around it. And it's not until I actually got to a stage where I thought, I can't take this anymore. It is becoming too much for me that I spoke out about it. Craving football insight? Well, look no further. Listen to Between the Lines with me Melissa Reddy via Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. This was a Staccano production.
4: Right then, uh, is everyone ready? Strap in. We're, we're going to go through Scream and uh, I imagine the first uh, 13 minutes of this film are, are, are going to be the one moment we, we talk about the most because uh, what an opening. Um... We meet Drew Barrymore. Uh, She is making popcorn uh, in a device that I really wish I had. Are
3: you kidding me? I've never had one. I saw that and i forgot about it. And my, you know, like, single-use plastic. Like, what's going to happen to that whole oh, frying pan? She's going to put it in the bin. Right. Fucking, the US is out of control. That's what I thought when I saw that <laughs> frying pan. What are they thinking? Resources are not <laughs> limitless. Well, what do you care if they Do you care about the environment
4: that much? I Be- do
3: care about the environment, actually. Alex, right. why? Oh, why okay,
4: no, I know. There's a lot, of, a lot of animals in the environment. Because I, thought... I don't
3: have a dog. All of a sudden, I want the end of... The, I'm trying to, like, shush. Yeah,
4: all right. Um... It's, uh, this whole opening is, um, it's just, it, it works on so many levels. I think the first thing we should talk about is uh, the voice at the end of the phone and how it start, it starts off as flirty. And I think that's the thing, because you, you're sort of disarmed by the fact that this guy might be a school friend or something, chatting her up, and uh, how quickly that develops into something menacing. Um what are your memories of watching this first scene Victoria?
3: It is longer than I remember. I know it's such a shitty thing to say. Mm-hmm. This is the most remembered scene. It's awful. It's gratuitous even for Wes Craven. The you know, he's getting stabbed in the tits basically. Mm. But and the um the button with the parents is so, so, so brutal. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. But it's a lot longer than I remembered. I thought I loved it so much because of its brevity. And I'm surprised at how long it is. And actually, and also maybe because I've seen it so many times. Mm. And the 13 minutes is not a long time, but I don't have like, the attention span of a child. I was just like, can we get on with it? But it
4: it is too, uh, it's weird that you say that because I think <laughs> I think this, this opening scene is of a length that upsets the structure of the rest of the film. Yeah. So the thing I noticed this time is this film is off kilter structurally, but we'll get to that because it only kicks in at about the 40 minute mark, I think. Um, Chris, this opening scene. Yeah, very frightening. Although what I would recommend is people don't watch uh,
5: the MTV scream. They screamed, not, not the TV show, but they screened this film the other night. And I thought, oh, I'll watch it there rather than having to rent it. And they cut out. I realised 30 minutes in, they were cutting out the violence. Oh, my God. And Scream is not a very effective film <laughs> without those moments of, of, of pure brutality. So I deleted that and then rented it and I was not disappointed. It's, what, what I remember of it is just how just how deeply unpleasant. Uh, and and you, you, I feel
4: like you feel the stabs in this film. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you do, uh, James. What did what did you think of 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 this scene?
2: Yeah, I think we all forget how long it is because it because it's so intense and frightening. Mm. that It you probably f- it feels like it's about five minutes long because there's so much going on. And I mean, I for me, the the thing that's more brutal is just how he's toying with her over the phone. Like the the stabbing mm. is is almost sort of after the it's after the fact. Really, he's he. Instead of just torturing her and killing her, he terrifies her over the phone first. Like he he breaks her down emotionally, kills her boyfriend in front of her. It's it's horrifying, and and, and it, but it takes the time to bed in. I mean, it's 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 one of the one of the, the biggest sort of rules of horror is that you have to you have to want the character to survive. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not scary. If you don't care about the character, then it's not scary. It's like, oh, come on, just go and kill them then. I don't I don't care, and you cheer for it. But you want you want her to get out, and she nearly makes it several times. She fights back. Um, yep. She she gets she gives as good as she gets, and that and then when, when her parents are coming and she's trying to scream for and help that's it. and she can, but she can't because he's strangled her and she's just like <sighs> hoarsely. It's it's heartbreaking. It really is.
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the moment for me. It's the moment where she just. It just is two decibels too quiet. She's just not loud enough to get her mum's attention because he's injured her. And it's just that Mum! Mum! It it breaks me every time. That and the bit where she's still on the phone and her mum picks up the phone to try and uh, call the police and he can just hear her gurgling screams as she's dragged her to the tree. It's a... Horrific scene. Uh, it could have been more horrific. Throughout this movie, Wes Craven Wes Craven talks a lot about the MPAA uh, and uh, his dislike of what they did to this scene. Uh, he says, uh, they didn't like it because I'm a director who can do something very well, but I'm not allowed to put it on screen. And they ultimately get you, as they did on this one, on intensity. They say it's not a specific shot. It's not blood. It's just too intense. So, weirdly, he had to lose some of the blood. Uh, Steve's innards uh, in the original uh, version that was going to get the NC-17 death knell rating uh, were dripping onto the patio floor. That had oh, to be I cut. I think you
3: say he'd, like, thrown them at the window. <laughs> They'd just, like, gone down like a fucking wet sponge. Yeah. Awesome.
4: <laughs> and the tracking shot when she's uh, hanging from the tree, that was done uh, at normal speed, but in the end they had to rip frames out of the film to speed it up and, like, keep it very, very sharp um, and short, and... Uh, But uh, her being stabbed uh, and strangled by the killer. Uh, Wes Craven claims that he told them he only had one take and he wouldn't put Drew Barrymore through that again. And they crumbled and went, all right, you can keep that in. You can keep that in. What do we think about this idea of killing your biggest star off at the 13-minute mark? Uh, For me, what I love is it basically... (laughs) It not only says the obvious thing of going, anything can happen in this movie. Anything can happen in this movie. Look, we just killed our our marquee name, the girl from the posters. I think it says the film is fucking cool. I think it says we are a film that is bigger than any rules of bankability, of Hollywood, of anything like that. It's like no other film. Because like James said... You didn't know at the time, none of us knew that she'd actually not been able to play Sydney and she'd chosen this role. To us, it looked like the film and the filmmakers had gone, we're going to kill our biggest star. How do you like them apples? And you're like, right, this is this is a film that isn't playing by the rules.
5: Yeah, and I think it's, it helped what turned it into a word of mouth hit is that you came out of cinema and told your friends, oh, you've got to see this film. This scene, you've got to see the opening ten minutes. It blew my mind. You've got to see this scene with Drew Barrymore, and and a film needs that to become the word of mouth hit that it was.
4: Yeah. And um, what what do you th- do you think do you think the gore should have been cut, James?
2: Well, this is the funny thing about 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 things like that. It's it's such a fine line when you start trimming frames and speeding things up. Sometimes it makes it more brutal. Right. Like, like when when he zo- when it zo- when it pushes in really really quickly to her to her gutted body, that's more brutal. Um, we had we had a, a similar thing in um, in Severance. There's a there's a there's a scene where a character is. I'm still I'm trying not to spoil my own film, even though surely everyone's seen it now. Um, he said like it's the most important film in the world that everyone should have seen. Um, you know, it's been on telly, you know, like ten times. It's free. Um, there's a scene where a character is has has a uh, pieces cut out of his stomach, and it's really brutal. Yeah. And we had you know, the BBFC is a bit bit easier to work with over here, and we had sort of an early screening where they sort of gave us advice, and they went, "That's probably going to push it into an eighteen, um, unless you trim it back a little bit." So so they trimmed it back a little bit, but. That just made it more brutal because you get these quick glimpses of it, uh. and it's like, oh god, oh what's this, what's that? Same thing with uh, with Event Horizon when they when they just show those brief glimpses of the hell dimension. Oh yeah, the journey. And everyone's gone. like, oh, I, I just want, I just want to see like a full, a full long scene of that. And it's like, yeah, but if you did, it would look terrible because you'd be <laughs> lingering on on fake prosthetic effects. And the longer you show uh, a special makeup effect, the more fake it looks. Mm. If it's a quick glance, you're like, oh my god, it, it's it's more <laughs> horrific. So I think it has the opposite effect and makes it more brutal.
4: I often use the example, there's a great example that Paul Verhoeven gives about Robocop where the scene where Ed 209 blows apart the guy in the office, the original version of that was there was so much blood, it was so over the top, it, it veered into comedy, it was hilarious and the MPAA went absolutely not, take some of that blood out, way too much blood, so he did and it makes the scene horrible and cruel and nasty and not funny anymore. Right. Let's uh, let's leave Drew uh, then, unless anyone else has anything to add uh, to that uh, cracking opening. No. Nope. Okay, so now we're into the, the movie proper. I, I guess a, a very quick mention to uh, the guy who does the voice, a guy called Roger L. Jackson, uh, who does the voice of Ghostface on the phones. Uh, he, he never met Drew Barrymore. He never met Nev Campbell. He was kept separate by Wes Craven to make it even more effective. Uh, he talks about it like it was the old radio plays. The scariest monster is the monster. You make your own in your imagination... And uh, he could see Drew Barrymore through the window, but she couldn't see me. I never spoke to her in person or met her. Someday I'd hope to and say thank you. (laughs) But uh, that's Roger Jackson. The other thing he's famous for is Powerpuff Girls. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) which is such a strange
2: (laughs) dual. Oh, he's the killer in Powerpuff Girls. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
4: Yeah, I mean that voice though. It's just a bit where he switches. I think you mentioned it, James, where he's like, "You hang up on me again, and I'm gonna gut you like a fish." It's so graphic. Yeah, it's the imagination. Uh, Right then, Uh, so we meet the the rest of the cast now. Uh, We meet Nev Campbell, who's going out with uh, Skeet Ulrich. Uh, He appears at the window, uh, literally like Johnny Depp does in Nightmare on Elm Street, looking like Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Skeet Ulrich, hot or not? Hot? Yeah.
3: (laughs) He says, uh, yeah, I look just like that. (laughs) I wanted to ask, obviously it's a huge sidebar, but... It's such a staple of these films that your boyfriend climbs in through the window and hides in your bedroom. Mm. In the US, do they build houses differently so that the walls are extremely thick? And also, why is it so easy to climb in through someone's window? Like, that is not possible. As far as where I grew up, that's not possible. It's got a lot of trellising. Yeah, right. it's all about the trellis. Yeah. They've got, right, so, okay, so they've got massive houses, but they do build better. Is that what you're saying? Because the walls are thicker. Why do you keep talking about the thickness yeah, of the walls? Why? Because if you've got a boy in your room, in my house, mm. everyone can hear that. It doesn't right happen so why is it, <laughs> it
5: when i've happen. got a girl in my room we're not talking <laughs> so, come on
3: it's just complete silence <laughs> she's <I did>. crying <laughs> oh dear mom mom make him stop <laughs> uh,
4: yeah or they have a ladder it's a trope like remember clarissa, know, yeah. clarissa explains it all uh who was the guy who always used to climbing through her window with a ladder I think, (laughs) I'll be honest, I think
5: Shakespeare started this Mm. with a little play called Romeo and Juliet. So ask him. Was that
3: by Hamlet? (laughs) (laughs) Ask him. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh,
4: So um, uh, this whole bit is a, I don't remember this bit so well. Uh, This, for me, this whole middle part of the film is just kind of setting up suspects. And this was the problem I kind of had with it this time, because when you know Billy's the killer, like you watch this guy, well, he's obviously the fucking killer. From the minute he appears, you're like, murderer, murderer. <laughs> but I remember I, I, watching this the first time and genuinely being unsure. Like part of the fun of watching Scream yeah. screen for the very first time is having no clue whether it's Dewey, Gail Weathers, uh-huh. the dad, anyone. Yeah. And then it's fun watching it the second time because
5: of what you're saying that they're hiding in plain sight. They're telling you who they are. Uh, Stu's describing how to gut someone while Billy's looking at him really annoyed, wanting him to shut up. <laughs> yeah. And it,
4: it, it, so that second viewing makes it really satisfying. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you, did you uh, immediately, did anyone immediately guess? James, did you ever, did you think it was Billy the first time you watched it?
2: In the, in the beginning, yeah, because the movie deliberately yeah. makes him seem like a suspect. And then when, it's, when it turns out he didn't do it and you go, oh, I feel stupid now. The movie, uh, that was a red herring. The movie made me suspect him, but of course it wasn't him. And that's just part of the whole, the whole, the whole sleight of hand, the trick that it plays on you. I mean, Randy's character even tells you, "Oh, it's, no, it's a prom night trick." Of course, it's Billy. <laughs> um, he's he's kind of right about everything. He kind of tells you what's going to happen. He's like, "The dad's going to pop up in the final reel." He's Red. <laughs> he does, and he is the only one with a cellular t- cellular telephone yeah that's funny yeah that's how that's how technology changes horror movies now it's like he's he's a suspect because he's got a cell phone you imagine a teenager with a cell phone he must be guilty
4: <laughs> uh, kevin williamson uh, does talk about um uh, some of the lines in this movie he goes i look at it now and i think wow i can't believe i wrote that at such a young age i also look at it and go oh ouch that dialogue in some places it's hard uh i there's one line that I literally can't believe made it through. Oh, uh, go on! To... I've got one. Please, okay. please share. I hope what it's the it? same one we've all got. I was just like, I was just
0: saying,
4: because before I say it, as as we all know, there are a shit ton of people on a film set. Everyone's listening in. The director, there's a lot of people that can go. Actually, I'm so excited. Go on, Actually, it? it's the bit where Nev Campbell's obviously been through this before with <laughs> her, her mum, uh, like being murdered. And she actually says uh, to someone on the phone. I, 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 I think uh, she—it's, uh, it's her friend uh, Tatum. Uh, she goes, "All the police and reporters. It's like deja vu all <laughs> over again."
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, that's the one I've got. <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> Chris, oh, like, does, I know, I doesn't, was doesn't she
2: just mean she's having deja vu again so she's already had deja <laughs> yeah, vu This that, is that, the cannot, second that, the instance of deja make. vu
3: <laughs> it doesn't make any sense unless it's to say she's actually a little bit of an idiot so be kind
5: I'm surprised Tatum referencing the Richard Gere gerbil story made it into the film yes um, because, because Richard Gere was, it does sue people yeah. for, for saying this stuff and he put, out, he put out a full page ad I seem to remember saying that his marriage with Cindy Crawford was real That's how worried he was about what people thought. And so for such a big movie to to actually put it out there.
1: Mm.
5: What's the story? I'm not saying it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Watching it this time, though, and, you know, we find these connections because we're watching these films every week. Um, I was also uh, really impressed with how well they uh, go after the media for exploiting murder and potentially turning teenagers into killers or not in such a different way to how Natural Born Killers did it two weeks ago that we talked about, and such a subtler, more effective,
4: b- better way, basically. Yeah. To to use a line from the Bruce Willis movie, The Siege, uh, Natural Born Killers is the broadsword, and this is the scalpel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing The Siege. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> uh, good. Um, well, we haven't touched on this. We have seen it already, and we're about to see it again. The mask, the iconic... Ghost face mask, uh, a mask that, um, interestingly, Wes Craven's producer found and then was desperate to get the rights to, her, but they'd had to start filming already. So in in both the Henry Winkler murder and the Drew Barrymore murder, in the long shots, it's a different mask, and you can notice the difference. Oh. I always thought the mask was terrifying. Mm. Uh, Bob Weinstein uh, wasn't a fan. Of the mask at all, uh, he actually demanded that Wes Craven shoot the start seven different times through Barrymore's death with seven different masks, so they could decide afterwards. But uh, I'm a big fan of the mask, James.
2: Yeah, I love it because I'd, I'd never seen it. I, I think it was it was sold in in shops in America for years beforehand, but obviously not over here. So uh-huh. I, I hadn't seen the mask. So it was just it was just a, a new mask, and because it it kind of looked silly. Mm. But because the guy is actually killing people, that just makes it scarier. Yeah, yeah that it's agrees. not as it's not an overtly scary mask.
3: Yeah, it's not made of skin or anything, but it looks like yeah. a Halloween. You know, a cheap Halloween costume. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that makes it more frightening.
4: It's 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 a big question mark. Like what what how you design the mask? Because you look at something like take a recent horror where you want a mask killer, and you're like, what should we put the mask as? Uh, Happy Death Day. I think it's that one where it's a baby face mask. Oh no! Yeah, which, which it actually kind of works in that movie. But I'm pretty sure there's a movie called Valentine that also used a baby face mask. So I, I, what I'm saying is we might be running out of masks. Yeah, and I think there's quite a few horror films now.
5: It's about ten, fifteen years ago there was a glut of them. It was like a bag on the head. It was simply a bag head was the was the villain. What? Yeah, like a, like um a bag that you'd have on a farm, a little brown. Like People the Scarecrow? Yeah, like that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's about five horror films that all went in that direction. Really? I haven't seen any of it them. It is
2: difficult. I mean, speaking of someone who who writes a lot of horror scripts, whenever I have one where there is a slasher or there's a master killer, I'm just like, oh, God, right, what's he going to wear now? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's been everything. There's been, you know, there's there's the, the joke shot mask, there's the, the, the human flesh mask, there's the gas mask, there's the prowler with the, with the helmet and, and the bayonet, there's... There's the burlap sack, the uh, baby. It, 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 there are no masks left. So you just have to sort of come up with really strange things.
4: Yeah. But we've got, I mean, Wes Craven's kind of two for two, two of the most iconic things from slasher movies, Freddy's glove and Ghostface mask. He's, he knows he knows a prop, uh, Wes Craven. He knows his way around a prop. Um, okay, so uh, from this bit, um, it's we get to meet a, a few other characters. I, I want to mention uh, Dewey, played by David Arquette, because uh, I think he's... Possibly one of the most lovable characters uh, I've ever seen in a horror movie. And it's all down to his performance. Uh, The character was actually written as Hunky and he was uh, auditioning for, he was asked to audition for Billy's role. But he was like, I want to try Dewey. And Wes Craven was like, okay. And actually thought, Bloody hell, he's so lovable. Uh, So I'm a a big fan of David Arquette in this. Acting like he's just received a blow to the head a little bit (laughs) as well, though, no? (laughs) (laughs) But he's meant to be, isn't he? He's quite sure. (laughs) Well, I don't know if he is, because he does come across as a little bit simple.
3: Yeah, Yeah. but it's good, because it gives it a story within a story. Because if he was just well-respected and um, broad-shouldered and all the rest of it, then there's nothing to do. But because he's trying to earn the respect of the town and then he's easy prey for Gail, like when she says to him very like flirtatiously, like, does the force require you to work out? It's like, that's such a fucking good line because he's obviously going to fall for it. But then she, you know, she eventually sort of falls for him. It's really good.
5: I've never bought into Gail and Dewey being a thing, sure. even though even though I think it's delightful seeing those two characters together, together I still don't buy it. You
4: cold-hearted fool. He's he's kind of right, like what? because she's such she's such a cynical, career-driven, uh-huh. ambitious woman. Yeah, I mean, ask <sighs> you ask yourself, could you see yourself with someone like Dewey?
3: Not, not personally. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm like a man's man. You know, you know me.
4: But yeah, it is. It's 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 a nice if fantastical uh, relationship they've got going on. Uh, We see Sydney getting chased around the house as part of this thing. Um, There isn't another death uh, just yet. We'll get to that. Um... I will say the physicality of the killers is really exciting in this. The fact that it's not magic; it's not like uh, disappearing at the bottom of the stairs and suddenly appearing at the top of the stairs, which they really could have done. Seeing as as we find out later, there are two killers. They could have completely played on the idea that oh, he's magic; he must be a supernatural killer. And then ba 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 another reveal. It's actually two of them. But it's I love the physicality of it, and it feels real. And I like the fact he gets injured as well. Mm. And that kind of tells you, oh, it wasn't. It could never have been the
5: sheriff. You know, because that was a doddery old man Bec- or, or even maybe uh, Dewey because he's a big, big bloke with muscles. But these are two sort of skinny teenage boys who it's kind of believable seeing them fall downstairs and actually get beaten up by by teenage girls during the film. Like, I think it, it's, it's another clue when you watch it the second time. It's clearly two teenage boys running around.
1: Mm.
4: What do you make of um, the sort of the dexterity, let's call it, and the speed and the agility of uh, the killer ghost face at this point, James? Because he's fast, and that's really exciting. These look like real cha- it, I think it's the realism of them that is quite scary.
2: Yeah, there's there's none of the sort of the the actor holding back so that the, so that the actress can get away because the scene mm. says that she has to be around the corner at, at 30 seconds in like they really go for it. They're really running full speed and you just get the sense that they're, they're just about getting away with this, uh, the, the victims. But um, but what but that's the other thing I love about it is that they, everyone fights back. Anyone who gets killed, they all fight mm. back right from the very start and they have a chance like they, you know, they they punch, they kick, and they knock them down, and they can get away. So it, it gives them a good chance to escape. So that it may, and I think that just makes it even more tense than a than a completely indestructible killer, because it's like right, I've I've actually got, I could get away from here if, if I if I if I really work at it, um, but then but then they get they get stuck anyway. And it I mean puts- that's.
4: Yeah, it puts you in the the, the shoes of the victim slightly because you go in that situation, like you feel like I would do that. They each give it a good shot to try and escape. uh, And because, like, you're just not sure because the movie's thrown out the rulebook early on with Drew Barrymore's death. You think, well, maybe this person is going to escape. Maybe Rose McGowan is going to escape, but uh, she doesn't. And neither does the principal, played by the delectable Henry Winkler. I'm on a bit of a Henry Winkler trip at the moment. I just finished Barry. Uh, I I think he's fantastic in this. Uh, Henry Winkler, guys. Yeah, love him. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> he does do that, doesn't he? He does his hair like
5: he the Fonz in the, yeah, mirror. In the Twice. mirror. Yeah. yeah.
2: Twice, it's amazing. And, and
5: you know, the first time you see him, he does a weird thing with. Sid, oh, he doesn't grabs it
3: No, he doesn't grab it. He cups her chin, yeah. which I'd never noticed before. Good. Right, and it's a great little character yeah, moment. Completely and, oh, oh,
4: suddenly, who's this guy?
3: Is this, exactly, is there something
4: wrong with him? Right,
5: and
3: very it,
4: simple, but very effective. All of it is though. Like we're talking about Dewey, and you're like, could he be the killer? And it's mm. because it's an act. He's playing simple, yeah. and that's why he could be the killer. The way Henry Winkler. Everyone's a him. suspect.
5: Yeah, everyone's a suspect. But you're absolutely right because now we we all know Dewey is just a good guy. But you've got to
4: remember that the first. First time you watched it, we all thought yeah. there's something off about this guy. What's he up to? Hence my spoiler warning at the start. Different experience so watching sorry. it this time. Different experience watching it this time. Uh, he also does have that fantastic line, which also adds to the idea uh, that Henry Winkler could be the killer. When he's got the big scissors mm. and he's got the kids who were running around dressed as Ghostface. face. And he goes, you make me so sick. Your entire havoc inducing, thieving, whoring generation disgusts me. What a a principle.
3: Uh, Yeah, he's in the right job.
4: (laughs) Uh, His death was um, actually added uh, at the request of Bob Weinstein, who, uh, when he read the original script, uh, obviously there's Drew Barrymore's death at the start and then there wasn't another death until the house party and he was like, you need another death in here. So that's why Kevin Williamson threw in uh, Henry Winkler's death. Uh, which he talks about actually helping him out with a problem that he had with the climax about clearing out the house party. Yeah, it's
3: a good, it's a good trick because you need them all to leave. Yeah. and it's so it's and it's also quite a good play on the nastiness of kids because they're not like, oh my god, that's terrible. I'm going to go and fucking look. <laughs> <And> that's
4: good. <laughs> uh, we get Wes Craven dressed as uh, Freddy Krueger or just Freddy. Uh, he's the janitor. His uh, director of Wes Craven there. Um, uh, some nice jokes here. Someone as a reference to uh, Wes Carpenter flick, being an amalgamation of John Cummins and Wes Craven. uh, There is uh, a joke uh, that Nev Campbell does uh, about how she'd uh, end up being played by Tori Spelling in a movie (laughs) of her life, which Tori Spelling would obviously go on to be in the Stab movies, the movie within the movie in Scream 2. And then we get to the house party. Now, I'd love to know your thoughts on this, because... I couldn't decide whether I was... I just misremembered to a point that like, I, I'd confused myself or whether this feels like a strange point for the climax to start and then all just happen at this location. At this point, I find the structure of the movie... I, did, I remembered it being there was a house party and then a little break and then the climax. But this feels like bit, one big, long climax, which... I, I was surprised. I thought there was more. It starts quite early, the sort of finale of the movie, and all takes place in this location. Uh, what did you think, Chris? I was not surprised because I'd seen the film before. Right. <laughs> I, had I hadn't seen it for about 25 <laughs> years.
3: So it was. I just, I don't know, Vicky? I mean, it makes me sound like a twat. I was, I was a bit surprised, but bear in mind, I've seen it mm-hmm. 20 times, possibly. But it didn't feel quite right, but once I got my foot in, I, I was pleased because I was like, let's just get it wrapped up and we're just going to see quite a lot of things happen. But I understand what you're saying, that all of a sudden, we it's just mayhem, and it's a bloodbath, basically, from mm. that point on.
4: James, what do, what do you make of this, this whole... The, the climax sort of starting, I guess quite early uh, for a film. I mean, granted, there are loads of sort of mini deaths in it, little mini stories, mini narratives, and there are breaks and there are lows and there are highs, but it does sort of go, right, we're here, we're at this house party, and this is going to be from this point on to the very end of the film.
2: Yeah, it, it works for me because it's not it's not the climax immediately Mm. when they they get to they get to the party it's not the climax yet and when you're watching when you're watching it for the first time you don't realize it's the climax so there's quite a lot of the actual party and some fun and explaining the rules and 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 putting all the characters in place you don't realize this is going to be the climax for the rest of the film so when it does kick off later it's it's at the you know i hate 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 to use the, the 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 screenwriting rules but it does kick off at at the correct supposedly time
0: okay
2: so you know I, i think i think it is it is structurally slightly different to some other films but it everything is actually in the right place and also things don't have to be in the right place you can you can delay things you can stretch things if there's no need to have you know more going on in the middle then just just Crack skip on. To the, yeah. Skip to the end, really. Yeah, just crack just, just on get with on with it. it.
5: Yeah. And to be fair, it's an hour and
4: 50 long movie, which yeah. is long for a horror. Mm. Um, mm. Let's touch on Rose McGowan's death. Uh, death by garage door. I, I love it because I hadn't seen it before. I don't know uh, uh, the physics stand-up, whether you can crush someone <laughs> uh, using uh, a garage oh, door. Oh, do you not? I don't. Oh, that's good
3: to know. Uh, You would hope it had been safety tested and they were like, what if someone accidentally... (laughs) I I
4: think that dog flap, uh, which it must be because it's too big for a cat flap, I think that's been added uh, DIY by the homeowners, by her parents. And someone's
3: like jimmied the safety in order to fit that dog flap. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, for sure.
4: Yeah. Um, So uh, it's another moment that the MPAA cuts uh, because you originally saw a lot more of her head being squished. Um, For me, I like it because it's a really awful way to go uh, we often talk about uh vicky uh jack palance in um in batman dying in a dressing gown as, yeah as, uh, for me dying half in half out of a dog flap is up there with embarrassing ways to die it's it's
5: lack
2: of gown. just it's a lack of dignity just just the word dog flap
4: is just is <laughs> is awful not isn't, isn't pleasant, it because a cat, a cat goes word. through it so you've done that yourself yeah yeah Because I think you're right, James, because, I mean...
2: Dead or alive, you don't want to be in a dog flap. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
4: Because people will talk about your death and people go, oh, he's dead, how did he die? Dog flap. Jesus. (laughs) It's it's like, it requires more explanation and if you don't have time, then people are just going to do things. So it's about imagery again, a dog flap. I'm I'm, I'm not a fan. Um, uh, Then... uh, Jamie Kennedy uh, does his big rule speech, which is, is great. They're watching Halloween, and he's, he's like, you don't know the rules, and we get to learn uh, the rules. And this, I guess it felt clever at the time. It still feels like it's a really nice moment, but at the time, I remember being like, this is, this is great. He's talking about the genre of movie we're watching. Uh, did any, anyone have like uh, any moment from uh, th- this, this scene that you sort of go, oh, I remember that the first time around?
3: I remember just being blown away the first time around. Like, the same feeling. like It's so risky to do that at mm. that point. It's fine now because you're like, okay, that changed absolutely everything. Mm. But imagine writing it and imagine shooting it. Because if you get it wrong and you are Wes Craven, what have you just done to everything that you've worked for like, your whole life? But it paid off and I do like that.
4: Yeah. James, as a writer yourself, what, what do you make of a film that sort of literally goes... These are the rules of the movie and, and and does it scene by scene so you've got him talking about uh, you don't have sex uh, and what have you as Nev Campbell is uh, like a uh, character Sidney's having sex with Billy upstairs
2: well again he's he's right about everything it's a it's a textbook example of if you make your characters really smart and your plot really smart then it just improves the film and it's one of the first ones I remember where the characters in a horror movie are aware of actual horror movies because in a lot of horror movies they don't seem to be aware that horror movies are a thing so everyone's really surprised by zombies or surprised by mass killers but in this they're all they're all aware of the tropes yeah, and yeah, they're like holy shit we're we're in a real life horror movie here so if we just follow the rules we'll be okay but then they do follow the rules or they don't follow the rules but then the villain and the plot outsmarts them so there's a there's a bit I mean going back to to that that first sydney attack scene she says she hates horror movies because women always run upstairs instead of going out the front door and then when she's first attacked because she sensibly put the chain on the door because she's not an idiot she can't get out the door quick enough and he's coming after us, so she has to run up the stairs so you ha- you have a character who is smart but then you you have to outsmart them so you end up you kind can- you kind of end up in a weird zone where you you go right how do how do i how do i make my characters not do the the stupid thing and and make sure they they try and survive and then you have to go right how do i make the villain Counteract what they've done, which is really smart. How do I make the villain even smarter than that? Okay, so now I go back to the characters. How do I make them out smart? And you kind of go back and forth in this kind of weird, weird, um, mental kind of operation of trying to outsmart yourself. But it just it just makes the thing better. And as soon as as soon as they start doing that in the film, you think, okay, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna go down the usual road. Of of these deaths, they're going. The killer is going to have to figure out a way around that, and it, it just makes it more surprising and more scary.
4: And uh, even at this stage, the film isn't out of red herrings because that whole conversation with uh, uh, Sydney and Billy, where she suddenly goes, "Did you use your one phone call yeah. from the police station to call me?" Which yeah, which on the one hand, like it kind of doesn't need to do because. Uh, it's basically saying that it's suggesting that he did when actually it could have been Matthew Lillard who did it on his behalf. Yeah. But it's setting that up just before the actual killer comes in the room.
3: I think it's twofold. So she has just lost her virginity to her boyfriend. Mm. Right. But you can write that two ways. So either before she sleeps with him, that's a delicate turn of phrase, before she shags him, she says <laughs> to him, what, uh, "Did you? who did you ring with your phone call? And he's like, don't worry about it. And so he kind of tricks her into doing it because he lies to her. Right. So And then she shags him. But it happens the other way around. She's like, no, no, no. There's a weird conversation to be had about her being selfish with her PTSD, which means she hasn't put out for a year since her mum was brutally raped and murdered. But okay, fine. But the point is, she asks the question after she's had sex with him, which means she wanted to do it. She wasn't tricked into doing it by her evil, murderous boyfriend, right? So that's a good reversal of that because if she was too... Uh, what's the right word? So naive that she could be tricked into losing her virginity. Then she's a little bit on the back foot. But if she chose to do it, you sort of clear that off. But it means she's smarter, like James has been saying, than that trope of like evil boyfriend made me shag you kind of thing. Yeah. You see?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think so. She's also also breaking the final girl uh, trope of like you know being a virgin because she actually yeah. has sex and still survives.
3: Yeah. Uh, it's
2: also the movie tricking you a second time. It's like oh you you think oh you think the boyfriend's the killer? Oh he's actually not oh, we're going to make you think he's the killer again. Oh, but no, he's not. Oh, but he is. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just an extra little you moment, which you know, it's, ni- it's nice to be fooled when you're watching this kind of thing.
4: Yeah, it really is. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, we've said it already. Billy is the killer, but he's not alone. He's working with Stu, uh, played by the the great Matthew Lillard, Uh who got a lot of plaudits for his performance in this movie, by the way. By uh, you? <laughs> not just by me. A lot of people. Some people were a little bit divided about it, but he was a bit worried about his performance, but actually he came out of this uh, with Smelling of Roses. If he was so worried about his Wrong performance, people. why did he do the same performance in Hackers, <laughs>
5: oh,
3: sorry, uh, All bit, That, and every other film in that prov- decade? Worried about his, cr- his one thing. <laughs> his gurning one thing. Which I don't have a problem <laughs> no, with. No, I do have a problem with <laughs> it. Yeah, but if you, like, if you don't like that in Scream... You guys
4: are so interested in parody, you end up talking yourselves into being nasty about someone who you actually quite <laughs> like. Like...
3: <laughs> we do love him. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I love the Lillard. No, no qualifications.
4: <laughs> right, exactly. It's great the bit where he's so ferociously de- devouring those lines that phlegm is coming out of his mouth. So it turns out that uh, him and Billy did it, and then it's this. I remember this bit really upset me where they decide to like. They, like I was, I sort of took the side of the killers in this moment because so I was like, "Damn it." if you're going to like murder make it look like you're killing yourselves and stab each other do it after you've killed everyone else yeah. like don't do it first and then go oh, i'm feeling woozy uh, cuz you know you you, you creating a bit of a pickle for yourselves but I I don't ever remember Billy sort of going so psycho at this moment and stabbing Matthew Lillard more times than he should
3: stabbing cushions do you remember he loses his mind he's like this has all gone wrong (laughs) and he goes into the living room and he just starts tearing the fuck out of all the cushions it's like what Mm. are you thinking in that moment yeah
4: because the premise is at that point he's looking for Sydney who's
2: run off she's not in a
3: cushion babe she hasn't
4: climbed
2: in a sofa (laughs) cushion
3: you're bleeding out time is limited leave that three piece alone there's
2: no need for that. Vandalism. It's not your
3: house. <laughs>
2: the
5: that, things are bad enough. But, but does this go all wrong because they they one or both of them have a change of heart at this moment and decide to actually kill the other one? Yes. Um. And which one is it? Which one's which then? Because
3: I think Matthew Lillard is the one that's duped by mm. Billy yes. in this moment.
5: Yes, that would make sense, wouldn't it? That would also make sense if you believe that there's sort of maybe a bit of a gay subtext to all this. And I that, wish they'd been stronger and, with that. And that Stuart's in love with. Yeah, uh, in love with why Billy. Why not
3: bring that out? I think that's there um so why not make more of a big deal of it
4: yeah i only noticed it this time where
5: he sort of puts his head on his shoulder and i was like oh
3: that's cute cute. well
5: there's something else i noticed this time as well and that's partly because i've only just recently rewatched rope have you seen rope the alfred hitchcock film no um from 48 stars james stewart it's based on a 1929 play about two students who strangle and kill a classmate to prove their intellectual superiority by committing the perfect murder Okay, And what they do is they put it in a tea chest and then invite the, the dead kids' parents around and their teacher around and have a party. So it all takes place in one place. Now, that is loosely based on um, a true story. Leopold and Loeb, who in 1924 were two teenagers in Chicago who killed a boy mm. just to prove that they could do it. They wanted to prove their intellectual superiority. It was all very Nietzschean. Mm hmm. And uh, they thought they, got, they could get away with the perfect crime. They came back to town. They even spoke to the kids' parents. They spoke to the press. They spoke to the police. Um, but the, one of them left their glasses at the crime scene, and so they got caught. <laughs> Day one, dude. But, Don't leave your glasses. But, but, but um, there, there's, clear, there's a gay subtext in the film. They're, they're gay in the play, and they were they were supposedly gay in real life, these two. And I feel like there's a direct line between these two characters and what our guys are doing in this film. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And there's that. And there's like, would you really do all this just for your friend? Or would you do it for someone that you were in love with and intimate with? I, yeah, I don't really buy. I, I think it's a very funny throwaway line from Matthew where He's like, I did it because of peer pressure. That's hilarious because it's so flippant.
4: Well, Kevin Williams says uh, says on that front, he was like, he, he wasn't sure what, what was scarier, whether they had a motive yeah. or not. And then because he had two killers, he gave Billy the motive about uh, his, his mum his leaving because she slept with... Uh, 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 Sydney's uh, and I'm quoting here, uh, slutbag whore mum, uh, and uh, and then he gave Stu Matthew Lillard uh, just a peer pressure line. Mm. So yeah, I mean I think it's it's a really it's a kind of tragic moment where he's sort of he's already bleeding out, and Matthew Lillard goes, did you really call the police? My mum and dad are going to be so mad at me. <laughs> You. And then he dies. Uh, killed, uh, for a man who was killing people based on horror movies, he's literally killed by a horror movie on his face.
1: The TV oh, yeah. with Halloween. <laughs>
4: yeah. uh, clever. Um, so, uh, yeah, do you have any thoughts on uh, Billy and Stu's um, plan and the reveal,
2: James? Um, I mean, I, I remember the first time I saw it, I remember being really scared when they bring out the dad and I was like, oh shit, they're going to get away with it. They, this, is a re- this is a really clever plan. They're actually going to, they've thought everything through. Um, but I, I also like the, the dual motivation thing where, you know, one of them's got a real motive, one of them hasn't. Anytime you make, you, you write or make a horror, horror movie, um, execs always go, No, we need to understand why the killer's doing this. Mm-hmm. And every time you go, the audience doesn't care. They just want to know... They just want to find out if the, if the character is going to get away or not. Yep. They don't care why. And that's why no one is really into the whole backstory thing, but they always make you put it in. And that's why in Severance we have the three backstories because they were like, you've got to, you've got to put an explanation in. So we went, all right, we'll put in three completely, <laughs> completely different ones and they're all bollocks. And they were like, but which one is it? We were like, oh, I bet that's for the audience to decide. Were, oh, that's really clever. We're like, yeah, no, but none of them, none of them are real. Um,
4: <laughs> Take that. Take that, Suits. Um, now, does, it, exactly. <laughs> does anyone have uh, anything else they'd like to add? I mean, the only other thing I think really worth mentioning is the very, it's a, it's sort of a very clever trick that they don't use much, which is the delay on the camera feed from the living room to the truck, which only really plays out in Kenny uh, getting his throat cut because he sort of realises the delay as he opens the door and then, <laughs> Dead more for anymore
2: but i think you can only use that once because it's because so, it's, mm. they, they introduce it and it's like oh that's annoying there's a delay and then you forget about it and then it comes back to to, to give you a scare so once once that's happened you're not going to forget again <laughs>
4: yeah that's true
5: I, I also think billy comes back to life maybe one too many times and that an audience expects he comes back the final time so that sydney can defeat him which is what an audience expects but i would have been fine with gail Taking him out like she does.
4: Really? I thought doesn't it needs kind of needs to be Sydney though, doesn't it?
5: That's what audiences expect. That's what you've been programmed to believe. So fine, Alex. If that's what you want, that's what you got.
4: It is. I just think it. It's the only moment that I think it's so obvious that he's going to do it that it does. You don't get a scare from Mm. it though. It's not. It's it's not a brilliant jump scare. Uh, If uh, anyone got any other points before we move on to the bits. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. James, you ready for the bits? I'm ready. Excellent. All right, uh, I'm going to start with uh, you this time, Victoria. What is your best scene in Scream?
3: Uh, very succinctly, it's Randy does the rules, just because it's such a um, groundbreaking, seminal, memorable moment.
4: Mm-hmm. I like it. Does he? He does it in Scream too, as well, doesn't he? But he's dead at that point. Is he on a? Does he? Is it a recorded video that he delivers in a? And he's like, if you're watching this. I'm dead, but the rules of a horror yeah.
2: sequel are. <laughs> if you're watching this video, we realise we shouldn't have killed me off.
5: <laughs> Chris? Um, I would say the opening sequence, but actually watching it this time, I'm going to say it's when they're stabbing each other because it's, a, it's such a shocking scene and I can remember how shocked I was watching it. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was just a brilliant twist.
4: More, more strange cuts in that scene because you know when it cuts to Nev Campbell's face and she's just watching. uh, I mean, you can just hear it. That's because they had to cut away from the knife actually entering Matthew Lillard from um, Skeet Ulrich stabbing him. And there was also a shot. They they were they were allowed to show blood-stained clothing, but no blood could be dripping Mm. on the ground. uh, Was the rule But they're penetrating each other a lot? There they are, (laughs) James. (laughs) (laughs) Over, to Um, to you on on that bombshell.
2: I mean, yeah, I I think I'm I'm just going to have to be cliched and go for the go for the opening sequence. But I I also think it's not it's not a scene, but I just think there's there's a couple of moments in the middle of the film where you see the town getting locked down and they play red right hand. And I, I, I just don't think there's any horror film has set the scene and the atmosphere of a town under siege by a killer that well since before or since. Um, you really get the sense that that this town is is in fear and the, and the song just works the the, the scene just works um, which is why there's that sort of movie rule where if a movie uses a song really iconically so that you can't, where every time you hear that song afterwards you think of that scene you can't use it again so i remember being really shocked and annoyed when when peaky just oh used it agree. at their opening and i was like agree. no no i was like no you can't you can't use that no you that's, can't that's the have
3: screen. it they can't that's the have it. song. it's frustrating because it's really good for it but it's been taken hmm. they can't have it, it. it.
2: it'd be like it like me chucking any of the songs from goodfellas oh, yeah. into yep. into my gangster film be like uh, no Part you dumb. can't do that <laughs>
4: Yeah, he, he, even if uh, what's uh, what's the lead guy's name in uh, uh, Killian Murphy, mm. unless he went, usually the rules would dictate that we couldn't use this song. <laughs> if he broke the fourth wall and went, <laughs> we're doing this. Uh, uh, well, I think uh, someone needs to pick the opening scene. Uh, so, oh, Vicky did. James just did. Oh, no, James picked the locked Well, the opening scene in the lockdown. Well, I'm, I'm going to echo James then. I think the opening uh, 13 minutes are incredible. But uh, if we're all having two, uh, or at least James and I are, uh, dog flaps uh, is my second <laughs> one. Dog flaps. Um, all right, Chris, you take us uh, to our most valuable whatever. What's your MVW in this? Uh,
5: you mentioned Roger, Roger Jackson. Big fan of that voice. But I went for Tony Todd's voice. So I can't do voice every week. Right. Okay. Um, I was going to pick Kevin Williamson, actually. But I've just changed my mind. The sight of that video store in the film made me so nostalgic. I'm going to pick the video store. I want video stores back. I want to be able to go and browse and meet someone like Randy.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I agree. I miss video stores too, but it's a rubbish choice. (laughs) Victoria. All right, Kevin Williamson. (laughs) Kevin Williamson, the writer. Kevin Williamson.
3: Um, <laughs> my choice is Nev Campbell because she was a lot to me at this period of time the party cr- of five part of, the, I mean yes I know but the craft right. and this and I think she just everything about her she's beautiful her voice is amazing she is this perfect mix of like innocence but it could be curdled slightly which I fucking love but also watching it this time and paying more attention to what she's actually saying and doing she's very judgy about her own mum and she's like basically Billy I have not slept with you because I don't want to turn into a whore like my mum. And it's mm. like, hey, Sydney, chill, right? Your mum was just doing what she's going to do. But at the end, when Sydney has the time to put on the girl's face mask to kill her boyfriend, which is <laughs> fine, I get it. I see he, what you have to
4: he, do it. He's stabbing cushions at that point. She's got plenty <laughs> she's got of time. She's <laughs> got
3: lots of time. She... Uh, taunts him and she calls him a mummy's boy and I was like yes Sydney because she could be super compassionate and be like oh I'm still going to kill you but she's taking the piss out of him and his particular Achilles heel and his motive and it's a really nasty thing to do and you still love her
4: I think there's another good point about um, her character in this which we didn't touch on is the fact that you know she might be wrong it's, she's not all. Yes. She, the whole thing about Cotton Weary and fingering him and basically it not being him. Yeah. And she wrongly accused him, but she was so certain in her own mind yep. that it was him walking out. Which, in as the a true coax.
3: crime fan, I'm hugely into like false witness testimony mm-hmm. and also the way that narratives are shaped by. Very popular Netflix series such as Jinx, Making a Murderer, all of that. Like we follow these stories and we watch them, and it feels like real time. And we bring our own framing to these people's actual lives, and we think we know how things turned out. Mm. And that this is a very early inception of that. Yeah, it's amazing.
4: Yeah. Well, you'll be pleased to hear uh, Nev Campbell is back for Scream Five or whatever it's going to be called. Uh, I'm kind of excited. It's directed by the guys who did Ready or Not, which I, I quite liked, so that'll be interesting. James, what's your MVW?
2: Um, it's got to be the script. It's a it's a Swiss clock construction of a script, and for me, it's it's pretty flawless. It's clearly written with love, written by an obsessive. Um, the way everything is worked out, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of work. I'm very very jealous.
4: I love it. Um, I'm going to pick uh, Dewey. Uh, How about that? This is the first time I ever saw David Arquette in a movie and I just I fell kind of in love with him. I think he's just really nice. And I quite like the story that um, he was meant to die uh, in this film. When he gets stabbed, he was going to die. And then Wes Craven shot the extra scene where he's being stretched into the ambulance at the end to see what happened with a test audience. And test audiences reacted really well to the character. So he put that scene in where Dewey's alive. And I don't think the sequels would have been quite so good Without him, so it's David Arquette as Dewey. And finally, what would you change, Chris? Uh, I know the
5: '90s were a different time, but Scream is very white. Uh, there's sort of a lack of representation in this film, and also, actually, I'm thinking about um, Stu and Billy potentially being a couple. Mm. And I feel like maybe Kevin Williamson, being a gay man himself, didn't want the only two gay characters in his to film be to be to be psych- psychotic. <laughs> mm. So maybe that's why that happened. That was sort of more under the surface, but um, they mercifully, they did address this with Scream 2, uh, where things changed in terms of representation, but just Scream is such a white film. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been nice to see sort of more different faces. Also, Bob Weinstein, don't kill Fonzie. That's not cool.
4: <laughs> <laughs> James, what's your change?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd agree with the representation thing, but apart, apart from that, I would not change a single thing. I, I think it's flawless. There are very few films I would say that about.
4: Wow. Okay, I think, you know, I know we kept it a mystery at the start, but I, I've started to get an inkling of which way you might be leaning this <laughs> week in terms of your favourite of this in Cabin in the Woods. Uh, Victoria, what would you change?
3: This is, it's very nitpicky because there isn't really much to change. But when it all kicks off, you know, when Kenny gets his throat slit in the news van, and that's like quite, a, that's obviously quite shocking. I would kill someone that we do genuinely care about at that point. So we care about Drew Barrymore because she's Drew Barrymore and she dies. But but maybe I hate myself for saying this. Maybe you do need to kill Dewey or Gail or someone that we're really really mm. invested in, and they they are really dead to get the most from the setup. Maybe mm. I mean I Up feel the like, stakes. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I get that's it. It's yeah. a, a fair point. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being kind.
4: Um, I I, I probably wouldn't kill Drew Barrymore off. Uh, she's the star, so you know you want to keep her keep her in the movie. You know, what, I, what a weird thing to do, <laughs> kill her off after thirty minutes. Uh, no, do you know what? It's a weird thing. I really, even though, like, you know, I just don't have a change for this movie. I'm like you, James. Like, even though it's not, like, you know, my favourite movie ever, and I've changed movies that I like more than this on the show, I don't think there's something that really stands out to me that it it does what it does and what it sets out to do uh, to a T. So I don't really have a change this week. So uh, how about that? Uh, Right, then. That is Scream done. Um, are we doing a quiz this week, Christopher? I've written a quiz, but we have run very long. Okay, Do you wh- still
5: want to hear the quiz if we do it quickly?
4: I mean, God, I mean no, you can't say that and then not do it. Let's okay, just, Let's blast through the quiz.
5: Okay. James, you up for this? Let's go. All right, so we've just spent an hour in Woodsboro. So this is a fictional town quiz. These are all fictional towns from genre films. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you the town. You need to tell me the film. Great. The town, the city, the place. Uh, so you'll have to shout, because um, there's three of you this time. Uh, we'll okay. start with uh, maybe an easy one. Haddonfield. Uh, Halloween. Halloween. I'm giving that to James. Yeah, I think you have. Thank you. Uh, sure. Antonio Bay. Uh, the Fog. It's one to Alex. Oh, Very ooh. good. Uh Delta City Robocop I, I even looked away from Alex Because I, I knew he'd know that one really fast uh, Raccoon City uh, Resident Evil Resident Evil Oh Al's run away with this uh, Cuesta Verde Oh Oh
3: isn't it um, Commando
5: Nope oh. Is it from Dust Till Dawn Nope It is Poltergeist
3: Oh, oh. oh. Uh,
5: Springwood.
4: Oh, I know this. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> it is. Oh, we literally shit. did it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Come on, Vicky.
3: <laughs> you
5: both had advantage over James there. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Venusville.
3: Uh, <laughs>
4: Pluto Nash. <laughs> Not far off. <laughs> really. Uh, Venusville. Mar- uh, total Recall? It is Total Recall. No! Oh, Alex. <laughs> oh, sorry. You te- right, this
5: is the last one. This is the last one. Right. Sanford. Hot Fuzz. Fuzz. James comes back in. Come on, uh, Alex. Uh, uh, Alex wins. Uh, James is it's in the middle. Vicky, you've really let everyone
4: down. Can you not? <laughs> you've really got into shaming people recently on, on this podcast. I, I'm not. I'm not happy about it. Me not knowing Hamlet off by heart. Vicky not knowing. I mean, it's something is rotten. Everyone knows that quote. Alex, come on. See, can't help himself. <laughs> the third time I've done that. Don't shame me. Here we go again. Right. <laughs> Uh, That is it for this episode. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday to talk through The Cabin in the Woods. We're going to find out which movie on that day as well is going to be our champion this week, Scream or The Cabin in the Woods. Uh, James will be back. Sadly, I won't. Uh, We are also going to be... Doing our witches show next mm. week. You have voted for our witches show. We can't tell you what the winner is yet because we don't know timelines and all that. The Dennis Quaid movie frequency springs to mind, but you are there and we are here and we are going to be doing our final Halloween show, our witches special next week. Uh, but for now, please uh, do follow us on Twitter at ClashPod and uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can, do rate and reviews as well. It's massively appreciated. A big thank you to James. Thanks for being with us, James. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, and we'll be back on Thursday. Bye-bye.
1: This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.